Well, last week we learned that while we often turn to the, the Gospel of Matthew or Luke to read the Christmas story this time of year, the, the, the story of Christmas actually begins at the beginning of time and really before the beginning began in eternity past with the covenant of redemption that was made between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that said that God the Son would come in the fullness of time from heaven to earth to become a man to accomplish salvation for all who repent and believe on Him. The Christmas story is a story as old as time and older from eternity past, a story that has existed from the beginning and a story found at the beginning of our Bibles when God first promised man that the Messiah would come in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Last week we looked at that promise. This Sunday we turn our attention to the New Testament to discuss how God kept this promise. We are going to discuss the fulfillment of this promise this morning. But again, we're we're not going to where you might think. Most of you would would expect me now to say, turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew or turn to the Gospel of Luke to see this fulfillment. Well, we are going to be in a Gospel book, but not in Matthew or in Luke. We're going to be in John. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1. John 1. This morning we are focusing on the second part to this two-part Christmas series that is entitled Promised and Fulfilled. We'll be in John 1 examining the Christmas story. John's account is unique from the jump. In his story, there is no mention of Bethlehem, no mention of Mary and Joseph, shepherds, wise men or angels, no mention of a baby in a manger. John 1 is not the Christmas story historically, it's the Christmas story theologically. All right. Now, before you begin to, to tune out and, and cut me out and say, I prefer the historical account with the shepherds and the angels and the baby in a manger, let me tell you, you need this perspective on Christmas if you are truly going to understand the significance of this story, the real meaning of Christmas. To understand that, you need to understand John chapter 1. To understand the significance of the Christmas story historically, you must understand the significance of the Christmas story theologically. So we are going to study the theology of Christmas again this morning. We looked at it last week in Genesis 3.15. God promised that the one would, would come from the seed of the woman. One would come from the seed of the woman who would crush Satan and reverse the curse of sin. In the first chapter of John's gospel, John explains how God is going to do just that. How he is going to be a fulfillment of the great promise that he made in Genesis 3.15 by explaining to us who Jesus is and what he has done for us and then he is going to tell us what we are to do in response to what he has done. John chapter 1. 
we see this fulfillment from Genesis 3. And so we are going to look at this this morning and explain how Christ is able to accomplish this great work of redemption. Notice number one, he is able to accomplish this great work because of who he is. And who is he? Who is Jesus? Here it is. He is truly God and truly man. Look at verses 1 and 2 of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So John begins by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and we learn in verse 14 that the word here is in reference to Christ because we're told in verse 14 the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So, so he's, John's referring to Jesus here as being the word. Now that's kind of odd. Why does he refer to him as the word? Because word here is another way of saying revelation. And that is exactly who Jesus is. He is the revelation. He is the revealer. He has come from heaven to earth to make something known. He has come from heaven to earth to reveal something to us. He has come to shed light upon the person of God, the purpose of God, the will of God, the mind of God, and the heart of God. And the reason he's able to do this is because he is God. Who knows the depths of God, the person of God, the purpose of God, the will of God, the mind of God, the heart of God, other than God himself. Jesus has come to be the revelation of God. He came to reveal God to us. Skip down to verse 18, John chapter 1 verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Before Christ's coming, God in the, the fullness of His glory was concealed to an extent. In Christ, God is revealed. In the Old Testament, He's concealed. In the New Testament, He's revealed in, in Christ. The Son came from the Father's side, from heaven to earth to make Him known in the words He shares, in the life He lives, and in the works He does. He also came to reveal to us our sinfulness. You ever thought about that? The very fact that Christ shows up on the scene in Bethlehem, the very fact that he, he appears shows our great sinfulness and our great need for rescue. If we could do it on our own, he wouldn't have showed up in Bethlehem. We see our sinfulness in Christ's revelation of himself coming to become one of us. Here's what Paul Tripp had to say about it in a wonderful book I'm going to be quoting quite a bit this morning entitled, Come Let Us Adore Him. Look at this quote up on the screen. He says, Jesus is the Word of God. He came to earth as God's ultimate and final sermon. He didn't just communicate God's truth. He was God's truth. First, in a way that had never been done before, Jesus revealed the Father to us. He made the Father's character clear 
So clear that he could rightly say, whoever has seen me has seen the Father, John 14, 9. But there's more. He revealed God's redemptive plan to us. Hanging on the cross, Jesus demonstrated how God planned to deal with our sin. He sent a Savior to die in our place. There's one final thing. The coming of Jesus preached the truth about our condition. We were in a state of impending doom without any ability to rescue ourselves. So God sent Jesus as the ultimate physical reminder of the depth of our need. So true. He did. Look back in John 1. Notice what else. John says the Lord Jesus was in the beginning with God. In other words, Jesus is eternal. He has always been. He is not created. Who else can that be said of other than God himself? John is, is making the case from the beginning of his gospel that Jesus is God the Son. Notice again how his gospel begins. Sounds familiar, right? In the beginning. Where else do we hear in the beginning? At the beginning, right? In, in Genesis, the exact same phrase. So we see how unique John's book is already. Because in the first verse in this book, he goes beyond the time of Jesus' earthly birth all the way back to the very beginning and shows us that Jesus existed before the beginning began. Genesis 1-1 tells us that before the beginning began, there was God. John tells us before the beginning began, there was Christ. Arthur Pink, in his great commentary on John, says this. Look at this quote. How entirely different is this from the opening verses of the other Gospels? John opens by immediately presenting Christ, not as the Son of David, nor as the Son of Man, but as the Son of God. John takes us back to the beginning and shows that the Lord Jesus had no beginning. John goes behind creation and shows us that the Savior was himself the creator. Verse 1 can literally be translated, when the beginning began, the word Jesus already was. In other words, Jesus has always existed and will always Go back as far as you want to go. And Jesus is there because he is God eternal. Notice also, not only is Jesus eternal, he is the second person of the Trinity equal to the Father. John says, and the word was with God, underline with, and the word was God, underline was. Great verse that tells us a whole lot here. This verse tells us that Jesus is distinct from, yet equal to, God the Father. He is God the Son. The phrase, the word was with God, suggests distinction. Because to be with someone is to be distinct from them. So the word is with God, yet is God. We learn a lot here in John 1. We learn here that Christ is God the Son, and that God the Son is distinct from, yet equal in person to God the Father. Notice he is also creator. Jesus is creator of all things. Look at John 1 verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That is an important verse of scripture. 
There are certain people who claim to be Christian who think that and teach that Jesus was a created being. If all things were made through Christ and without Him was not anything made that was made, then He could not be made. You follow that logic? It's pretty simple. It's right there. John tells us here, Jesus is the creator of all things. There has not been one thing created that has not been created by him. And this is not the only place where we see this. Look at these verses up on the screen. Hebrews 1.1, Colossians 1.15-16. Hebrews 1.1 says, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. Colossians 1, 15 and 16, Paul tells us, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. Christ is creator, period, end of sentence. He is the Word, the revelation of God, the one sent by God from heaven to earth to reveal to us who God is. He is also God the Son, distinct from, but equal to the Father, eternal, creator of all. A lot there, right? In those first three verses. That's the first main point here to be made from John's Christmas story. And the reason why he goes to great lengths to explain the person of Jesus is because when, when explaining how Jesus is able to fulfill the promise God made in the beginning to redeem fallen man and restore this broken world in which we live, we, we see we have to understand who Jesus is. We learn here he is able to save because he is God. He is God the Son. Something you learn pretty quickly as you read God's Word is that man is helpless and hopeless on his own and is in complete need of God to rescue him from sin and restore him to a proper place in God's kingdom. Man was devastated by the fall. While we're not as bad as we can possibly be, we are radically corrupt, the Bible says, and rightfully deserving of God's judgment. We are dead in sin, separated from God, set against Him in our wickedness, with an inability on our own, in our own strength, to change anything about our condition. We learn that as we study God's Word. God tells us that again and again and again and again and again. And he gives us example after example after example of this in his word. We see in God's word that his best saviors are broken and incapable. Unable to restore man back to the paradise that was lost in Genesis 3. Noah is broken. Abraham is broken. Joseph, broken. Moses, broken. Joshua, broken. Shamgar, Ehud, Gideon, Samson, broken. David, broken. Solomon, broken. The, the best of high priests were unable to lead mankind back into the presence of God and provide them with a permanent place in God's presence at peace with Him. Noah's not going to cut it. 
Abraham's not going to cut it. Moses is not going to cut it. Aaron's not going to cut it. David's not going to cut it. Solomon's not going to cut it. Broken vessels, broken saviors. Salvation is not going to be accomplished through these broken saviors, through anyone earthly born of Adam. That's why Christ came from heaven to earth, from eternity into history, virgin born conceived of the Holy Spirit. Again, Paul Tripp says this. Look at this quote. The inescapable condition of sin infects every single human being and has scarred every aspect of the cosmos. The only solution was a Savior, and the only suitable Savior with the wisdom, power, righteousness to accomplish this task is God Himself. There's no way for man to bridge the gap to God brought about by sin. Only God can do that, which is why he sent Christ. Peter tells us that Christ came for that reason, that he might bring us to God. Look at this verse. We'll look at it a couple of times today. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Next quote, C.S. Lewis from his book Mere Christianity says this, The Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. Christ is the only one who could accomplish this work and came as the only way for man to be restored back into a right relationship with God. That is why He took on flesh. That is why He lived among us. Only Christ, God the Son, co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him. All the Gospel writers remind us that Christ came because He's mankind's only hope. The best mankind has to offer does not come close to cutting it. That's why the Son of God became a Son of Man so that He could do what mankind could never do by doing what Adam failed to do. He became one of us, truly God and truly man. He came as our perfect representative and accomplished our salvation through His life, death, and resurrection. That's the message of Christmas. That's the reason why we should be joyful believers this time of year. Another quote by Paul Tripp, look at it. Hope in the here and now and hope in the great forever that is to come rest on one set of shoulders. It rests on the almighty shoulders of Jesus who is for you today the way, the truth, and the life. He offers you what you have no power to provide for yourself, restored relationship with God, a knowledge of what is really true, and life that will never end. Amen. That leads us right into our second point. We first learn how Jesus is able to accomplish this great work God promised in Genesis 3 by studying who Jesus is. He is God the Son, creator of all that is, co-eternal and co-equal with the Father, truly God and truly man, mankind's only hope for salvation. The second Part of this passage. In the second part, we learn more of what 
Christ has done for us. So in addition to telling us who Jesus is, John tells us what he has done for us. And what has Jesus done for us? Point number two, he has redeemed us. We learn from John 1, not only is Christ our creator, he is our redeemer. This chapter has it all. Look at verses 4 and 5. John tells us, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Last week we discussed the, the story of creation and the fall. Many of you know this story. If you were here last week, you got a recap. Let me give you an even briefer recap this morning. When God first created the world, it was good. Everything was good, especially man's relationship with God. But all of that changed. When man chose to go against God, go at life on his own, as a result of that sin, the sin of Adam, the consequence of that sin was death, both physically and spiritually. But the great news that we learned last week is that God did not quit on mankind. He could have. He could have just wiped his hands of us and, and left us to our help in our helpless and hopeless state, lost and, and separated from him. But instead, God reached out to us again through his son, Jesus. And we see the promise of Christ made right there at the fall. We said last week in Genesis 3.15, on the heels of the fall, we have the hope of Christ. It's awesome. Listen to it again. I'll just read it to you. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, God said to Satan, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's the promise of Christ there from the offspring of the woman. And here in John 1, we see the promise fulfilled in John's gospel. At the right time, at the opportune time, in the fullness of time, God sent his son to become one of us in order to redeem us. Notice how John describes Jesus. He says, in him, in Christ, was life. And we know that's true both physically and spiritually, right? Because we learn in John 1, he is creator and he is redeemer. He goes on to say in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Once again, while the world has been darkened and dominated by sin, God sent his son Jesus to push back the darkness in our world and bring light and life. Now, how does this happen? How does God provide light and life through Christ to this dark and dead world? First, he sends a witness out for Christ, a witness of the light. Look at verses 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, this is not John who is writing. This is John the Baptist, okay? So John is writing about a different John. You with me? He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So there had been 400 years of silence from the period of the prophets to the time of John's ministry. And then in God's perfect timing, he brings John the Baptist into the world for the purpose of preparing the world for the light of the world, the Lord Jesus. John came to show the world once again that God had not 
washed his hands of his people. Quite the opposite. He was sent to show that God was coming into the world to bring salvation to the world. It is really fitting that we're in Genesis 3 last week and we're discussing John the Baptist's ministry this week because the message in Genesis 3 and John's message in the gospel accounts are similar. In Genesis 3, God addresses man's sinfulness and the consequences of sin, and he also gives the hope of Christ. John does the same. He came preaching on man's sinfulness and man's great need for repentance and need to be restored, and he also promised his hearers forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life through Jesus. We learn more of John's message at the end of this passage. Skip down and look at verses 15 through 17 of John 1. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth, came through Jesus Christ. A few important truths here communicated by John about Jesus. In this passage, we learn that John bore witness about Christ's eternal existence as God, His supremacy over all, and His great work of salvation. Now, remember, John was born six months prior to Jesus. But we're told here that John lets the world know that Jesus was before him. He was in the beginning with God, remember? We learned that at the beginning of this chapter. He is God the Son. John also makes it clear that Jesus outranks him. He is supreme. While Jesus came after John, he is before him. Why? Again, because of who he is. He is God the Son and because of the work he is coming to accomplish. He is coming bringing salvation. In uh, John 1, 16 through 17, we're told... From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. God has come in his fullness in the person of Jesus Christ. Remember Paul tells us that, Colossians chapter 1 verse 19. For in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And John says, from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. Christ has come to accomplish salvation for us and pour out his grace upon us. He came to do what the law of Moses was never meant to do. Once again, he has come to reveal to us the truth of who God is and our sinfulness and our need for salvation. And he has come to make a way for us to enter back into a right relationship with the living God through him. The law of Moses could not do this. We talked about this again and again and again and again in our study of Hebrews. Go back and listen to those sermons. You see, the law properly showed man his sinfulness and his need for rescue, but could not provide rescue for man. It couldn't rescue us. It couldn't restore us. It could properly address the problem, could not provide 
the solution. I want to share something with you. Uh, look at this chart up on the screen. You also have an insert in your, your bulletin here. I came across this in my study this week. I wanted to share it with you. The contrasts between law and grace. Let's read these together and rejoice in what Christ has done. Law addresses men as members of the old creation. Grace makes men members of a new creation. Law manifested what was in man, sin. Grace manifests what's in God, love. Law demanded righteousness from men. Grace brings righteousness to men. Law sentences a living man to death. Grace brings a dead man to life. Law speaks of what men must do for God. Grace tells of what Christ has done for men. Law gives a knowledge of sin. Grace puts away sin. Law brought God out to men. Grace brings men in to God. Amen. Look back at John chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. We learn here the importance of John being a witness of this message, a witness for Christ, and why we believers, like we said at the beginning of service, should be a witness for him as well. Look at verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Notice again, we see here, Jesus is truly God, truly man. He was in the world, he became a man, you see that? Yet, he created the world. He's God. We see that peppered all throughout this, this chapter. Verse 11. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So the reason why John was called to be a witness for Christ, the reason believers we are called to be witnesses for him all the time, especially this time of year, is because while the world is made through Christ, while he was sent into the world to be the true light of the world, those in the world did not know him and they rejected him. Every year... People get all bent out of shape at Christmas because people have taken Christ out of Christmas and because they say happy holidays at department stores and because some parents are trying to do away with the singing of Christmas hymns in school plays. That should not surprise you folks. John tells us in verses 9 through 11 why that is. It's because while Jesus was in the world and the world was made through him, the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. People did not just recently remove Christ from Christmas. They've been doing it for centuries. What are we to do in response? Get angry and pick at Walmart? Boycott NBC? God calls for us to go and be his witnesses. To go and be witnesses for Christ in a world that does not know Him in hopes that they, like John says in verse 12, will believe on Him and receive Him and become children of God. Born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. 
So God provides light and life in this dark and dead world by sending out a witness of the light in John the Baptist and in you and in me. He also, as we have said already, he provides light and life in this dark and dead world by taking on flesh and dwelling among us. Look at verse 14. John says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is a key verse in our Bibles. And the Word became flesh. The eternal Son of God, who has existed with the Father throughout all eternity, who has created all that is, who is equal in person to God the Father, took on flesh. He became a man. He became one of us. The creator of this world chose to enter into his world as one of his created beings so that he could fulfill this great promise God made at the beginning of the book in Genesis chapter 3. At the opportune time, in the fullness of time, God the Son, in response to this great covenant of redemption because of the promise the Father made in Genesis 3.15, out of a love for His heavenly Father, out of a love for sinful humanity, out of a desire to fulfill the great will of His heavenly Father and accomplish His purposes, Christ left the riches of heaven, took on flesh, and dwelt among us. He emptied Himself by becoming one of us, and He was a obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He stepped out of of heaven's light and into earth's darkness to bring light to the darkness and to bring light and life into our dark and dead lives. Believers, this is where our minds need to be at Christmas. Our minds need to be fixed on the promise God made on the heels of the fall for his Messiah to come and reverse the curse of sin. Our minds need to be on the fact that that God's promise was fulfilled when the light from heaven stepped out of heaven's light and into this dark and dead world to bring light and life. Our minds should be on the work Christ accomplished at Calvary in order to save us. When you think about God taking on flesh and becoming one of us, You're to remember that that human body that our son took on, it was crushed. It was pierced. It was crucified on your behalf. The human blood that was flowing through our Lord's veins was poured out for you and for me because of our sin. When God made the promise in Genesis 3.15, while he promised the destruction of Satan and the the salvation of, of man, he indicated at the very beginning that it would come at a cost to his son. Christ, as we said last week, conquered death with his own death so that we might have life eternal. That was the plan from the beginning. Look at Peter's verse one more time from 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're one of the, the many I mentioned earlier who do not know the Lord. Maybe you're here, you're thinking to yourself, this story, this story of Christmas, the way John tells it, that's foreign to me. 
up to this point in your life. Maybe you have rejected him and, and gone at life on your own. I invite you today, if this is you right now today, to turn from a life that is opposed to Christ and give your life to him. Turn from your sin, look to Jesus, believe on him, surrender to him as Lord today and be saved. John says in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you have not, I pray you would receive Christ today so that you can be given the right to become a child of God's. Let's pray together.